Welcome to Motos and Friends, a weekly podcast from the editors at Ultimate Motorcycling. This is brought to you by Yamaha Motorcycles. Yamaha revs your heart. I am Arthur Coldwells. This week, senior editor Nick DeSena chats with Kyle Wick, the guy who led the engineering team on the new Harley-Davidson Sportster S. Kyle tells us about the design ideas and goals that led his team to produce such a big departure from the previous generation. The new Sportster looks incredibly promising to my eyes. Whether you agree or not, it is arguably the most important motorcycle in the Harley-Davidson lineup, and it's vital for the growth of our sport that you, the younger generation, like it, buy it, and get out riding it. Hopefully, the lowdown from Kyle will help you decide to do just that. In our second segment, I hear from Karina Roberts of Redbird's Visions about their recently developed Rider Safety Track Day. I was prompted to call Karina after reading a Facebook post about yet another young rider who tragically lost his life riding the Angeles Crest Highway. Karina is an expert photographer and through taking pictures of motorcycle riders, she started to realize that there are a lot of inexperienced riders out there who could do with a little help. And that led her to founding Highway 2 Motorcycle Track Days. Anything or anyone that helps take a rider to the next level has to be a good thing. I hope you enjoyed this episode. The YZF-R7 bridges the gap between the entry-level YZF-R3 and the prestigious YZF-R1, offering a mid-level option for both new riders looking to grow into a more powerful motorcycle, as well as experienced riders seeking a fully fared motorcycle. Discover how the YZF-R7 provides the perfect balance of rider comfort and true supersport performance. With an advanced CP2 engine inside an ultra-thin and lightweight chassis, the YZF-R7 delivers tons of linear torque, providing you with exhilarating track day sessions or Plenty of power for ripping your favorite canyon curves. Take a closer look at YamahaMotorsports.com or see the YZF-R7 for yourself at your local dealer and see where our world meets yours. Okay, so this is Nick DeSena, Senior Editor of Ultimate Motorcycling Magazine. And we just got done riding the 2021 Harley-Davidson Sportster S. As you guys know, this is an extremely important bike for Harley. And the first time that the Sportster has seen a from-the-ground-up revision in some time. Now, to be absolutely clear, Harley representatives have made it uh, abundantly clear. We should say that the current generation of Sportster is not defunct, as in the Sportster S is not replacing the Sportster lineup entirely. It is in addition to, and some of the models that will be sticking around, as far as I understand it, are the 1200XL, the Iron 883, and the 48. And so those bikes, as of 2021, are currently in dealerships and will be available. And as far as 2022 goes, well, who knows? And, uh, you know, Harley-Davidson reps are being Curiously uh, tight-lipped about that information, but back to the matter at hand. We are here talking about the sports dress, and I'm joined by Kyle Wick. So why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself, Kyle, and explain your position with Harley-Davidson and what you do. 
Yeah, thanks, Nick. Uh, I, I'm the chief engineer for this motorcycle on the middleweight platform. So I've been a key part of leading the team that's developed and designed this motorcycle and brought it ultimately to production. Awesome. So the both of us, and this is kind of an interesting uh, situation, the both of us just got done riding the sports dress through Los Angeles. We did uh, Angeles Crest and some other uh, well-known roads in Southern California. And for our Southern California listeners, these are you know familiar roads that you guys have probably done a million times. And um, you know, generally, before we dive into the nuts and bolts, can you just kind of go over the design brief for the sports dress when you guys first started working on this and it's sort of its evolution over over time? Because we originally saw this as a uh, prototype model, uh, I believe, was that last year or? Yeah, it was probably about a year ago. Yeah, and the, the custom, if I'm remembering the nomenclature correctly. And, you know, from, from that prototype to what we have today, it looks quite similar. Yeah, you know, the, from the start, this bike has always been something that we looked at and, and said we, we don't want it to just be your, um, your traditional cruiser. We want this to be all about performance and somebody looking for a bike that has some get up and go stoplight to stoplight yet is uh, very capable when you get out of the city and, and get out onto roads like we just got done riding and, and enjoying. So, you know, the motorcycle's always been positioned that way since since day one. And um, one of the things that we've talked about previously in other discussions and, and our VP of Styling, Brad Richards, will talk about is how this motorcycle um, looks very similar to what even the earliest of sketches and models um, look like. And that's really a testament to the, the collaboration of our teams working together to figure out how we bring to life their, their creation and their inspiration for what the, the motorcycle should look like given our heritage and of the, the Sportster being around for 64 years now. Um, so, you know, we've had a We've had a road of developing something that had challenges, but ultimately um, we're very proud of the end product here and, and the way it hasn't had to change over time as far as how it looks. And yet we've delivered a, an amazing motorcycle, something fun to ride, something that uh, grabs people's eye and, and still pays homage to uh, models of the past and takes our history forward. Yeah, I would agree with that wholeheartedly. I mean, the Sportster name is is one of those things, and you know, we can also make the comparison to Triumph with the Bonneville lineup. I mean, Harley in the same way as Triumph, you know, you are the stewards of that name. And Sportster like the Bonneville is extremely important to the motorcycle community at large. Um, both those lines are extremely important to customization. And that's at least from my perspective, that's one of the, the sort of integral um, traits or benefits of the Sportster, as in it, it's, a, it's a product where you can buy it relatively affordably and then invest you know, not a lot of money into it and completely change it to fit your lifestyle or whatever your needs are. I mean, if you think back to the, the genesis of the Sportster, it was originally pushed as a sport bike. You know, we're going back 60, 64, 65 years ago and things were much different and definitions do change. 
but there isn't anything that the Sportster hasn't done, you know, from flat track racing to, um, like, a, as we, we said before, you know, uh, uh, sport riding, off-roading, uh, ice racing, et cetera, et cetera, and down the line. And it's also become a darling of the custom scene because of how um, varied uh, it, it, it can be and how many forms it can take on. And because of that, there's almost a, a secondary market to support the Sportster. And so looking at, at the Sportster S from that perspective, and I understand that Harley is positioning this as a performance motorcycle, how do you think that will that sort of um, custom ethos and uh, custom lineage will play into the, the modern Sportster with all of its technology and so forth? Yeah, I mean, you, you said it right. We're, this this particular motorcycle is really about bringing everything to the table and giving the customer um, a lot of performance, a lot of technology, the, the latest and greatest, and most importantly, an exciting ride and experience on the motorcycle. So, you know, we're really bringing that all to the table right now. Um, we fully expect people will get creative and want to customize going forward, um, but we also as we've talked about, this started kind of being the start of the, the journey ahead of reinvention of the Sportster and this model putting the sport back into Sportster, that we have the opportunity to do a lot of different things going forward from here that could include, um, you know, customization, different models, lots of different directions we can go. And obviously, the, you know, the future will, will tell you what we'll, we're going to do there. But... You know, I think that's the way we're looking at this right now is um, give, the, give the customer a lot uh, right away with this model. And, and um, from there, if they want to customize, I think they're going to be creative and find ways to do it. It'll, I expect it'll kind of reset some of the, the customization approaches and ideas that people have because it is different from the current sportsters to, of today and typically when you put something different out, it'll spur some new and creative ways to, to look at it. So um, I think we're all looking forward to seeing how people um, look at that ability to go and customize. And, and we've got a good line lineup of uh, products already through parts and accessories that people can use to customize this model right out of the gate. And, and like I said, the future will, will show what else we'll bring forward and make available. Yeah. And speaking to the technology, I mean, this is quite literally the most advanced sportster that has ever existed so far. That's not hyperbole, exaggeration. Those are just the facts. It is and fact. A, the, and a lot of it has to do with the fact that it is using the latest and greatest from Harley, the Revolution Max 1250T, which is the, uh, the, the name specified for its power plant in the sportster. So it is derived from the Pan America that was recently released. And, and a lot of it really comes down to the engine. So, you know, just to get in the weeds a little bit with the tech, and you're the man to speak to about it, let's just go over some of the changes from the Pan America to the Sportster S um, and, you know, why those changes occur. I mean, from my understanding, it was you don't necessarily need 150 horsepower that the Pan Am makes in the Sportster S. So to do that, it was updating cams, updating the these uh, the pistons uh, cylinder heads you have obviously a different air air intake because it is a different form factor uh, velocity stacks and then most importantly 
new fuel maps and VVT mapping as well to really accentuate the fact that this is a, a torque driven motorcycle, so to speak, as in, as is with Harley Davidson over the years, this is really a bike that has a ton of power on the bottom end, really good mid range. And from my experience today, didn't really, um, you know, lose puff at the top, like, you know, the 1,283 might've done before. It's uh, right off the line, monstrously powerful. And that's really not an exaggeration at all. It's definitely, and without a doubt, <laughs> one of the most powerful sportsters. I've, you know, it is the most powerful sportster I've ridden. So just to recap the, the, uh, the tech stuff, you know, just kind of go over some of those things and you know, talk about the benefits and side effects of each thing. Yeah, you, you hit it there. You're right. Um, the, the major mechanical differences between a Pan America engine and, and the uh, engine in the Sportster S, the 1250T, it is uh, cylinder heads, piston, camshafts, uh, the mapping of VVT and fueling and, and everything else that goes with it. The intake system is different. The exhaust system is different. So, you know, those are all the, the technical things. And, you know, what we're really after by doing that is not so much chasing a specific number um, or the power number of Pan America, but it's really about creating the right feel for this motorcycle. And this motorcycle is about, you know, uh, in your face kind of torque. We're gonna get up and go right off the, the starting line. Um, stoplight to stoplight, it just incredible, incredible performance that kind of um, throws you back and makes you know that you, you've got a, a lot of power underneath you and brings that excitement factor with it. So, you know, in part of that is keeping this motorcycle uh, lightweight also, you know, so you, you combine the torque and the power of this, this engine along with the, the low weight of about 500 pounds of this motorcycle and you've got a great power to weight ratio and that translates to the feel that you described and talked about um, when you get out on the road and, and really enjoy it. So that, uh, you know, the technology in this engine that we started from with Pan America is just tailored to give us a different feel for this motorcycle, which is exactly what this motorcycle is looking for. Yeah, and you know, you touch on something that I'd like to uh, uh, elaborate on a little bit more. I mean, with the fact that this is the Revolution Max engine, it is a stressed member design, as in we are not seeing a cradle style frame that we've seen on, as far as I know, every single Harley up to Pan America. So this is a big departure. That also impacts uh, chassis dynamics to a pretty significant degree. Um, mainly, as you mentioned before, weight. So if I'm recalling numbers from previous sports or iterations, you're looking at bikes that are roughly around like 540, 550, 560 pounds, depending on what's yeah. going on. Yeah. And right here, we're seeing roughly 500 pounds. So no matter how you dice it up, you're saving anywhere from 40, 60 pounds or whatever the bike was. And, you know, that's really nothing to sneeze at. But again, it goes back to that stress member design. So, uh, you know, when we talk about handling, when we're up in uh, Angeles Crest, you know, it's interesting because I felt the bike was um, just a very gentle handling motorcycle while also having another uh, positive attribute in it that it was extremely planted, far more so than any of the cradle frames uh, would have been able to deliver, uh, especially when riding at a, you know, sportier pace. And I think that's something that uh, customers will enjoy. You know, of course, on the S model, which always denotes a little bit more performance with Harley-Davidson, you know, 
the easiest reference would be the low rider and then the low rider S. Um, we're seeing fully adjustable, so we should show a suspension. And um, you know that is one thing I would like to talk about. It's uh, you know the front suspension, the fork, thought it did a really good job. In the rear, you know you do have that limited travel, so you do take a bit of a hit. But it is it's not as bad as previous generations. I would say it's those hard edge hits that you will feel. But again, you get a lot of stability, a lot of confidence as well. And with the sports rest in particular, the larger diameter um, uh, front tire doesn't slow the handling at all. In fact, is that's something that I'd like to kind of pick your brain about is, you know, tire design, chassis design, how did you make this bike handle the way it does, basically? Yeah, it, it, you know, I can't take all the credit for that. You know, we have a great team um, that we work with and some real, real expert riders and, and designers and, and people who understand vehicle dynamics you know, very well and know how to put all that stuff together and we work together to, to make that happen. You know, the, we, we talk about the, the front tire and, and how large it is and, and paying homage to previous sportsters, yet we, we don't feel we're sacrificing vehicle capability and, and handling for this, this type of motorcycle much like you described there. And, and so that, you know, that goes down to, you can go all the way back to the, the stress member um, frame and powertrain like you talked about, and providing a, a very stiff chassis that helps keep the motorcycle planted very well. And then you add in um, high-end um, suspension components that tend to soak up the road and adjustable for the road that you want to ride. Again, helps to keep it planted. And then all the way down to tire design, and you know, these tires are uniquely designed and co-branded um, with Dunlop for this motorcycle, and, and they're designed to deliver exactly what you felt today, which is that capability without sacrificing and, and make it something you can ride in town, yet go out in carpet canyons like we did. So you, it's really putting all the pieces together is, the, is how we get to a motorcycle and a ride and an experience like we had today. And, and um, all those pieces really add up to mean something. You can't just do one. you got to do them all together. Yeah. And, you know, uh, for our listeners, tire profiles play a really big part in how your motorcycle behaves. And just visually, sitting from the cockpit, um, you know, that front end, or the, the front tire, I should say, has a pretty steep profile to it, which really encourages tipping in. So I think when... Um, the bike was announced a lot of people sort of wrote it off as a you know a bit of a sluggish handling machine because it has that big chunky tire you know all of 48 and that's really not the case um so that that was a quite a nice surprise uh and a welcome one at that you know and then we move on to the braking uh components you know it does have a uh, single disc up front is it it's, it's a 320 millimeter rotor if I yep, remember correctly. Correct. Yep. yeah Brembo, then Brembo Master Cylinder as well. So you do have, you know, if you really dig into that thing, you're going to get a sizable portion of braking force. Um, and, you know, again, when I think about past sports, this is a cut above that easily. Um, the main thing I, I'd like to kind of touch on, because that is going to be sort of self-evident to anyone that rides a bike, is electronics. So this is the first Sportster, if I'm not mistaken, I'm fairly certain that's correct. This is the first Sportster to feature traction control, coordinated ABS, uh, multiple ride modes, right. and yeah. so on and so forth. Um, now, just kind of walk me through 
I guess sort of the, the you know the, the thousand foot level of developing that stuff for something like the sports dress because they all are derived from the Pan America, which is obviously an entirely different platform. So just kind of walk me through that. Yeah, I think it's uh, you know as we go back to reinventing uh, the sportster and taking this to a new level and putting the sport back in sportster, this this type of technology and capability is is what we, we truly believe the customers will expect in this motorcycle and, and it helps to deliver an even better uh, experience for them. So, you know, you're right, this is the first time we've had uh, traction control and, and cornering enhanced uh, controls on the motorcycle and, and everything that goes with it. And it just really helps to bring the motorcycle up to a whole new level and help to deliver a very conf confident uh, and capable motorcycle overall. You know, you get into ride modes and the technology that comes with that, that's something that's a, you know, I think is a really exciting feature of the motorcycle. As much as we talk about the power and excitement that come with this motorcycle, the ride modes allow the, the rider to really customize how they use that, that power that's available. And if, if they so choose, they can uh, dial that back or you can go with, a, with the rain mode or you can go all the way into a custom ride mode and, and make it exactly what you want it to be and maximize for what your riding style is. So, you know, bringing a, a technology like that into the Sportster, I think, is really about giving more opportunity to more riders to, to, to make the bike really what they want it to be. So, you know, I think, uh, you know, the, the, the addition of technology here is really aimed at benefiting the customer in, in the most ways that we possibly can. Yeah. No, I, I agree. Um, I'm a big proponent of rider aids. Uh, I know, you know, riders in my generation, it's a very um, polarizing subject, we shall say, especially when you talk about performance riding and track riding and so on and so forth. Um, for the average rider on the street, especially what the sportster has traditionally attracted, which if you look at its history, it has kind of been the gateway into the brand. And when you're introducing technologies that could potentially and arguably make the bike safer, if not more enjoyable. I think that's a benefit. Um, from my end, using the, the systems today, using the most aggressive sport mode primarily, because we had a clear sunny day in full power modes, um, I didn't experience anything adverse. You know, if you really got on the gas and, you know, activated the traction control, you could feel it. And that's it doing its job, especially in a couple of hairy areas. Um, cornering ABS, and I should note that uh, track control is also IMU supported, so it is lean angle sensitive. Um, and on that note, you know, you have 34 degrees of lean, which is nothing to sneeze at, especially in the cruiser class of bike. So overall, I'm, I'm happy with the electronics factors on there, and I also enjoy the fact that some of these systems are defeatable, like TC can be disabled. Um, ABS cannot per Euro 5 requirements. But beyond that, you know, overall, it's uh, it's been a really good day. I don't want to take up too much more of your time. So um, I guess kind of closing thoughts. Well, let's just get a brief breakdown of how your day went. Kyle. <laughs> yeah. This is this is what makes uh, my job so enjoyable is is being able to bring a motorcycle out and, and spend a day with people like you, Nick, and and get out and ride and really do what our customers uh, do, and that's an, enjoy. The, the ride. So, I mean, that's the short story and recap of my day. It's been really exciting to, to see people on the bikes and hear 
all these really good pieces of, of feedback and excitement that have been coming out throughout the day. And, and I think this is going to translate to a lot more people as we get people out onto these vehicles in, into the future. So I'm, I'm really excited today, really happy today, and couldn't ask for a better day. Cool. Awesome. Appreciate your time. Thanks. In this second segment, Karina Roberts of Redbirds Visions talks to us about her recently developed rider safety track day and the path she took to start Highway 2 motorcycle track days at the Willow Springs track, Horse Thief Mile. There's a place where the track meets the street, where the next generation of rider meets a new generation of supersport machine. It's called Our World and the all-new Yamaha YZF-R7 is your gateway. The YZF-R7 bridges the gap between the entry-level YZF-R3 and the prestigious YZF-R1, offering a mid-level option for both new riders looking to grow into a more powerful motorcycle, as well as experienced riders seeking a fully-fared motorcycle. Discover how the YZF-R7 provides the perfect balance of rider comfort and true supersport performance. With an advanced CP2 engine, inside an ultra-thin and lightweight chassis, the YZF-R7 delivers tons of linear torque, providing you with exhilarating track day sessions or plenty of power for ripping your favorite canyon curves. Take a closer look at YamahaMotorsports.com or see the YZF-R7 for yourself at your local dealer and see where our world meets yours. How are you today? Doing great. Thank you very much. And thanks for agreeing to come onto the podcast. I was struck by the Facebook post that you made a week ago where a young man was unfortunately killed on the Angeles Crest Highway. And, and uh, I don't know if it's something that already existed or if it was in response to it, but you're part of a group organizing a track day to try and help with that? Yes. Um, we started the Highway 2 track day approximately, I want to say it was December 2019, and it is a direct response to the fact that the, the young gentleman who passed away um, two weeks ago will not be and has not been the only uh, casualty that we've had and the only fatality that we have. We live on the most dangerous highway in California. And so I'm there, I'm right there. I am, uh, I don't ride, but I am part of the motorcycle community. I've been around motorcycles my entire life. I love them, I love the people. And it's very, um, you know, it's very heart-wrenching to lose people on just on a regular basis. You think when you're going home, what am I going to encounter today? Or if you have to go to the store on a weekend, is it, am I even gonna make it down the hill without, without encountering something terribly unfortunate? Um, and the reason that these things happen is basically lack of skill. Um, speed absolutely plays uh, an important role. And um, people, people crossing the line, people crossing the double yellow line um, is a, another tragic way that awful accidents happen. But so many of them are just skill-based. They're just people don't have the skill sets to be riding high-powered motorcycles in a mountain setting on a technical road. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely right. When you say um, people crossing the line, do you mean cars crossing the line and, you know, coming the other way? Or are you talking about um, riders crossing the, the double yellow and, and then having an incident? 
both. And uh, unfortunately, one of the most tragic accidents we had um, was the first, my very first day working at New Century Motorcycles. Uh, there was a little satellite store in the mountains and two motorcyclists collided and one of them passed away um, because they were riding over their limit and one of them was over the line. Um, and so we actually have a t-shirt. Uh, I looked for it in the closet and couldn't find it. Uh, we actually made a t-shirt, uh, a very nice graphic and it just says, don't cross the line. Um, it's so critical. Uh, it's, it's a two lane road. There's, um, there's traffic going both ways. You can't just assume that you're gonna come around a blind corner and be okay. You just can't. Really? And, and people actually do that? I mean, hopefully I don't get arrested. I, I've, I've crossed the double yellow, obviously multiple times, lots and lots and lots of times, but I've never done it around a blind corner. I've only ever done it when I can see exactly where I'm going and what's coming. Sure. And I'm not trying to, not, I'm not trying to justify that, but from my perception, every California road, for whatever reason, seems to be almost entirely double yellow lines. So I'm not trying to justify it, but I'm just saying that, do people really go around a blind corner across a double yellow? And that's nuts. They really do. Um, and, and again, I think it's just, it's a, it's a lack of experience. It's a lack of really comprehending the consequences. And then unfortunately, some people just don't care. Um, they're not particularly interested in safety or, or your, you know, they, they don't care. They're doing the fastest time that they can on the crest. And then they're going to go home and post on social media about it and maybe even do videos. Look how cool I am. Look how fast I went. And so we have kind of created wow. this, this speed culture and a speed culture is fine if you're in a closed circuit environment, but they're not. They are on a road through a national forest and a national monument with tourists who will literally stop in the road to take a picture or back up on the highway because they missed a turn. It's, it's such a, we love the place so much. I've lived there for uh, 13 or 14 years now, and I, I just love the place, but it is, it's so demanding of your attention and your, and your skill and your consciousness and unfortunately, we're plagued with um, a lot of less than stellar consciousness, let's say. Yeah. Okay. So, so having established that, it sounds like you're really making the effort to do something about that. We, we definitely are. Um, when, you, when you say we, who, who's we? So the Highway 2 track day was something that... Um, I was riding with a gentleman named Don Goss. We came around a corner and here was a motorcycle down, motorcycle completely shattered, rider was okay. He had missed the end of a guardrail by about six feet. And had he not, um, he might have been the next cross because there is already a cross at that guardrail from not too many months before when somebody didn't miss the end of it, a motorcycle. Um, and I think that was the moment at which I thought, so we do, uh, we had a highway to art show. And as part of that art show, we did motorcycle technical skills workshops where people were talking. Our first guest was Lance Holst. Um, if I, we'd, we'd be here all day long if I tried to go through his bio. Um, he wrote MotoGP, he started a magazine, he's a writer, he's a great writer um, and a wonderful person. He did our very first workshop, but talking isn't enough. You need, I was looking at that shattered motorcycle and what had happened is the rider had spooked when a car came around a corner, not even in his lane, but close on the line. He spooked and he grabbed a handful of front brake and that was the end of that. 
um, it, it was it was a completely avoidable accident and it could have killed him. Um, he got really lucky. The bike took all the impact. He got sent down the road um, and was actually standing up and walking by the time we got there. But that was sort of my aha moment. Um, I thought it's not enough to talk. We need to we need to find a way to get to get people in a relatively safe environment because the track's not perfectly safe. Um, but get them into an environment where at least everybody theoretically is going in the same direction and give them the opportunity to ride corners, to break, to look for apexes, to um, to develop, to get comfortable on their motorcycle. Because a lot of people, you see them ride. Um, so again, I'm not a rider. I'll, I will. I can't get into how we teach you because I leave that to others. But you can look at a rider and just tell by their body position, how they're holding their shoulders, the arch of their back. You can tell whether they're comfortable going into a turn or not. And, uh, and I also like to photograph bikes on the highway. So what I noticed is a lot of people um, they don't really know what they're doing. They're out there and they're riding and they might even have nice gear or, or not, um, but they really don't know what they're doing and they're not comfortable. Their shoulders are up here and they've got a death grip on the, on the bars. And, and it doesn't have to be that way if you can develop a rapport with your motorcycle and get those skills. So that was um, that was in 2019, and then we did our first track day in December 2019 uh, at Willow Springs uh, International Raceway. Which track was that at? Horse Thief Mile. Horse Thief Mile, okay. Horse Thief was well known to drifters, to people who do drifting in cars, because that's mostly what it had been used for. Right. Um, but I went to a total control uh, track day that was just for total control instructors, just to watch a friend of mine ride. Right. Uh, and to get great pictures of somebody crashing. Um, and uh, I thought this track is is perfect. It's perfect. It has everything. Actually, actually it is. When I, I went uh, I went to the opening of Horse Thief Mile a few years ago, well, many years ago. Um, and it was actually designed to be sort of closer to our local canyons as a as a course and sort of replicate that experience somewhat as compared to say streets of willow or the big track um and i think course thief mile actually does that i liked it it was a great little track it was awesome i think so and for so for our purposes um a couple of my so most of the riders that i know personally are very accomplished uh and they have raced and they're and i would get on the back of their motorcycle and they're good and they're fast and they're competent and they're not they're occasionally stupid let's be honest but for the most part, they're not stupid. Uh, <laughs> we're all occasionally stupid. We all have our moments. We're all occasionally stupid. I hate to say it. <laughs> yeah, we do, yeah. And, and whatever. We're here. Um, but uh, they were asking me, well, we, would you ever do streets? Maybe. Or maybe not. You know, street. you can get going pretty fast on streets. I don't know that I want that liability. Sure. Uh, would you ever do the big track? Oh, heck no. No. <laughs> that's not what we're about. You can have a ton of fun on Horse Thief Mile if you're an accomplished rider. But what we're really aiming for, we want you to have fun. We need that A and B group. We need them to come out um, to have a good time. Bring as many bikes as you want. I don't care. You're paying for you, the person. If you've got four motorcycles and you want to ride them and you want one to be an A and the other two to be in B and the one you don't know about or your, you know, whatever is in C, that's fine. You're paying for you, the person. Um, but, but we need that A and the B group and we pretty much let them do their thing where we have control riders out there, but it's a track you go as, as fast 
fast as you want and as fast as you're comfortable and try not to get hurt. Um, and you get to do it without getting a ticket. It's all good. And it's fun. It's a fun track. Mm. But our real focus is the C group. And for the C group, we have uh, um, we have a number of uh, people that are dedicated to the track day. Uh, Peter Esquivel from uh, West Coast GP Moto. Uh, his friend Amir, whose last name I can't pronounce, always comes out and helps us. Uh, Turin Atoll from Total Control. We have a lot of Total Control riders who come and just volunteer their time during the day. Uh, and they will either work one-on-one -on -one with people or they will just control ride for us. Uh, we have uh, Sylvia Marie and her friend Kai who come all the way out from San Diego County. They are... Um, they're with a different motorcycle school. I'm not sure which one it is, uh, but we just met them over Facebook and they said, hey, we heard you needed help. They came out. Those are two of the most wonderful human beings on earth. Uh, Tanner Allen Gallo, uh, who has a little bit of a street racing record and has now gotten into dirt bike racing uh, and is probably just going to kill it in dirt bike racing. He went on his first race this weekend and, and came out with at least one first. I, I sort of lost track of where he was at. Um, so we have these great instructors and they uh, come from different backgrounds. Some of them are, are mostly from dirt. Some of them are from street. Most of them have formal training in training other people, but really that's our focus is to get the C group out there uh, and to work with them at the level that they need to be worked with, to watch how they, how they ride and start at that level and help them carry it to the next level. And, and for some of that C group, it's, I mean, they're just, they've just barely got a motorcycle license and that's okay. We're going to try to work with people wherever they're at to make their ride, not just safer, but more fun. Cause it can't be that fun to be nervous every time you go into a corner. It just can't be. No, I, I totally agree. So you're addressing those who can ride, but don't necessarily have <clears throat> have the skill set to have the presence of mind to avoid something if it goes wrong. So they're riding on the Angeles Crest. One of the boy racers in his Honda Civic drifts across a double yellow a little bit. And so now that now your pupil has the skill set to go, uh oh, and not panic and do something crazy, they'll just pick the bike up a little bit and then carry on and they won't target fixate. They'll just keep going. So that that's great. That addresses one group. There are obviously lots of other scenarios and and you open the conversation talking about the sort of the crazies who just ignore all the all the odds do you have anything that sort of addresses like the mindset of people i mean clearly there's a whole bunch of motorcycle guys especially young guys who think they're invincible who just the red haze comes down and they're like i'm going to set the fastest time and my gopro's running so let's see what happens how how do we address that? That that is the question. <laughs> it is because how do you appeal to that? It's a it's a predominantly male, twenty six to 30, 26 to thirty five. There's there's statistics, um, and I've been watching and kind of kind of forming my own opinion about who these people are who do end up um, in really bad accidents or losing their life. Um, and it's usually by, by, by the time they're 26, uh, they've got enough money for a fast bike. Um, it, it can be younger, it can be older, but there's an actual, there's an actual demographic and it's like a 26 to 30 male um, ethnicity makes no difference. Um, what does seem to make a difference is no prior experience on a motorcycle. So we're not talking about kids who grew up in the country on dirt bikes. 
those people almost never have these kind of accidents that could have been prevented because it's innate. They don't have to think. Uh, if you have to think, oh, okay, there's a car coming at me, what do I do? You probably lost that split second window to, to respond. So um, I wish I could tell you how to reach them. And I think our greatest obstacle is that we're getting C-group riders definitely, and they're learning stuff and they're appreciative and they come back and they tell their friends. So we know we're doing something right. But the really super high risk people, how do you reach that ego? How do you appeal to that ego? Because it's very, it's the ego and the fearlessness because I did stuff when I was 26 that I wouldn't, I would never do today, ever. Same um, yeah. 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 But how, I don't, we, I personally, I don't know. And I wish somebody could give me a, a I wish I could have a seminar on how to market to that group. Um, and then we'd probably have to double our insurance because we did have one of those kind of people. And sure enough, they did manage to get tangled up with somebody else um, at the, in an open session at the end of the day at one of our track days. Um, right. So I want them, I want to appeal to them, but how, but I don't exactly know how to reach them. If somebody out there has a clue, but please teach me. Right. Yeah, it's, it's tough. I mean, a lot of times these are guys who have a peer group and the peer group are, are more experienced and a little faster. And so it's the slightly less, ex less experienced person who, um, doesn't have the self-awareness or perhaps even the self-discipline to say to themselves, <clears throat> I'm not as fast as my friends. I'm just going to have to ride my own pace and I'll just meet them, you know, at Newcombs or wherever it is we're going. Um, and, in, and what happens is these guys get in over their head because they're following faster guys. Um, and maybe they're not even trying to be competitive. Maybe they're just they're just trying to keep up with them and they just white knuckle their way. And then eventually something goes wrong. And I mean, I've got so many anecdotes over the years of these coming across these people and people I know that this has happened to, and I won't bore you with them all because you probably got at least as many, but it is pretty yeah, sadly. Yes. It, it is pretty horrifying. Yeah. Um, and, and I definitely, I mean, I've been riding motorcycles since I was a teenager, which is a few years now. <laughs> and uh and i know i've done stuff in the past and thank the lord got away with it but uh definitely playing the odds so I, it's difficult when i kind of look back i'm like how what could i have done differently to change my mindset and i'm not not sure that i i could i mean essentially what changed i think two things changed it for me one is growing older and just as you get older, you do mature a bit and it just becomes less important to beat that guy off the traffic lights or wheelie past some guy or whatever it is you want to do. Um, <laughs> and, and, and secondly, um, riding with people that were faster than I, I was or am. <clears throat> Part of it was on track and once you suddenly realize, oh, well, actually, I probably am not the next world champion, you know, <laughs> perhaps I'm just not quite as good as I think I am, because actually, there's quite a lot of guys out there that are really a lot better than I am. And that sort of deflates you enough that suddenly I'm like, yeah, you know what, maybe I just don't need to compete quite so much, because I know I can't beat that guy. 
Um, and, and maybe that's it. But I'd like to think that there's something that we can do that is, is going to help these young guys. I mean, you know, I don't know what the answer is. Well, there's, um, I touched on it a little bit in the, in the Facebook post that you had mentioned. And one thing is that for the riders who do have a little time under their seat, they, if you just take a little bit of responsibility for that younger rider, or maybe a lot of responsibility, because if they're following you and you don't take responsibility for them, really in a, in just a split second, something can go really badly wrong. But just the idea of this is your little sister or your little brother. And how would you treat them getting on a motorcycle and what good things would you teach them? You can teach them how to do wheelies later. You know, you you can you can teach them how to how to do 100 miles an hour through a turn later. For right now, teach them how to navigate a turn. Teach them what to do as they approach an, an apex. Teach them the little things that they probably don't know, and that you probably you, I think on some level once you get to a certain level of riding, there's there you just forget a lot of the it, it's it's innate. You're not thinking about every little thing you do, but a new sure. rider doesn't have that background. So if we just take, uh, as, as riders who have survived our teens and our early 20s, if we just take a little bit of a different approach to newer riders, even if they're not 100% receptive, because I remember as a young person, you couldn't tell me anything, uh, no matter what it was about. I, I knew everything and I was a little bit of a jerk, and, uh, but I could hear you. And I would never give you the time of day while you were trying to address me, but I heard you. And it might have stuck with me. If you said just one phrase that stuck with me, I probably still remember it. And it's probably saved me at some point from doing something stupid on a motorcycle or not. So I think that there is, you can't really waste your time if you're trying to spend it um, helping somebody uh, uh, get, get more skilled. And, um, you know, it's not always about not having an accident. Sometimes it's just about enjoying the ride. Um, we are kind of a community and we, and we should really develop that mentality of sort of sticking together a little bit, you know, yeah, not just sure. when the dips are down, but, but just day to day, there's not that many motorcyclists out there. You look around, there's a million cars, but um, yeah. you know, if we keep dying young, there's, there's just going to be less of us as we get older. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The, the, the thing that's obviously the area where you, you definitely are helping are people that have the right mindset and um but it's real easy especially on a like you say a technical place like like the angeles crest highway um where something can come up and surprise you and you get a decreasing radius turn or you're carrying a little bit of speed or you know you come into a corner and perhaps there's a little bit of gravel or something on the road and really you only if you're carrying any kind of speed into a corner i mean and when i say speed i mean you could be going into a 30 mile an hour corner at 40 miles an hour so it doesn't have to be crazy fast if you're carrying just a little bit more speed than than really you should be um, and then you get a split second of something go wrong you just feel the front just push a little bit just because you've hit a bit of gravel just that split second can upset you enough that your survival reaction is to bring the bike upright you run straight across the road and you either crash into something or you know whatever and disaster happens yeah. and fortunately when that happens a lot of people don't necessarily die but they do get hurt yeah. or they 
they crashed their bike, like the guy that you mentioned at the beginning. Totally not his fault. He didn't quite react right. And boom, suddenly his bike's totally. Yes, yes. Um, you know, and so I think you're, what you're doing will definitely help those kind of guys um, to sort of reprogram their brain for to rework their survival reactions. Um, and I remember when I was first racing, I used to, I raced in the mid nineties at Big mm -hmm. Willow and my buddy and I, we said, when, when you go into a corner too hot and everything in your brain is telling you, bring the bike upright and, you know, run off the track and hit the brakes, which is absolutely the wrong thing you should do. How do we get past that panic reaction and calm yourself down? And we decided that if you've got time to say, oh, shit, 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 shit to yourself, you've got time, you've got time to say something else. And we came up with ride the bike. In other words, if you go into a corner too hot, and yeah, the truth of it is you have to just stay on a neutral throttle, maybe dial in a little more lean angle, keep your eyes fixated on where you want to go and just say to yourself, ride the bike, ride the bike, ride the bike. And, and I have to say that has sort of stayed with me for the last, you know, 25 years and it has worked um, on, in lots of instances to try and help get your, get your head in place to help survive these things um and i it sounds like you guys are doing something very similar yeah now when you're talking about because that's a really good point and i think that's the um i crashed a really nice truck a couple years back and and at one point the i think the reason i crashed was because i let go of believing that i was going to make it through the turn right exactly i might have made it through the turn i pretty much guarantee you would have done yeah um but i didn't and that's another story I and I I it was one of the few times when I didn't know what to do and I did the wrong thing. Right. Um, so you're you're the words you're saying in your brain and the actions you're taking with your body are ride the bike. Are you also looking through? Yeah. You're looking through the turn ahead as far as you can. Of course. Yeah. Okay. Because that is to you because you've been doing it all this time probably you don't even think about that no 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 i i do think about it i, I do think about it. the number one rule is look where you want to go okay because a lot of people don't i i they they might be taught it but they don't necessarily remember it they don't know and so they start focusing in the wrong place instead of focusing where you're going to be when you get on the other side of whatever the situation is yes um so i i yeah that's so important it, is. it seems like such a little thing but it's so critical it is Pretty much the first thing we were taught in new racer school is is how not to target fixate um and um there was one time i was going through turn two at big willow in, in a race and i'm following some guy and turn two is pretty fast it's over 100 miles an hour and the guy in front of me suddenly he lost the front and whoosh, off he goes to my left and he was all right he was absolutely fine but you wouldn't believe the temptation I had to look at him and watch him. Oh shit, there he goes. But no, no, I just kept looking through that corner for everything I had to just keep looking through and, and I was fine. But, but that, those sort of lessons, like I said, sort of reprogramming your, reprogramming your natural survival reactions that you, you have to do. And it's those kind of lessons that you guys are doing on a track 
that, that I think ultimately will really make a difference to people, certainly in these single vehicle accidents. Oh, I was going along the crest and something yes. happened and boom, I crashed. Yes. So I, I think I think what you're doing will definitely help with that. Yeah. And it and um, so we tend to be focusing on the inexperienced rider. But sadly, we have we've lost some really good riders with experience. Um, it, it's it's uh, one of the most tragic uh, ones. And I and I say this just because I don't want it to happen to anybody else. His uh, kickstand sensor was broken. Um, the one that won't let your bike start if your kickstand is down. Oh. And 99% of the time, if your kickstand's down and it makes contact with pavement, it will, it'll fold back up. Right. It'll, it'll, you know, it'll unsettle you, but it'll, it'll come back up. You'll be okay. Right. But it didn't this time. And it pitched him headfirst into a, into a rock. And that was that. Oh, man. And um, he was a lovely human being and a, and a friend to all of us and just such a tragic loss that could so easily have been prevented. So, um, so I guess just a little aside, if you are a really experienced rider, don't take for granted um, that your equipment is always gonna be in good condition, check it. Um, you know, don't, don't, don't write off with something little and stupid like that that could be fixed. For sure. Do you have any sort of, uh, any feedback from any of your past attendees that have said, you know, I'm so glad I came because thus and such happened this weekend and I think, what you taught me helped. I, we do. We have a couple of riders who come back. So um, I think the last track day was the first one where I, I just I got distracted and I didn't ask people specifically for feedback. But usually part of it um, is as soon as I get done with everybody's photos, I, I post the photos um, and I ask what could we do better. Or what could we, uh, I give them a little tiny box for what could we do better? No, just kidding. Um, <laughs> but I ask, you know, what was your experience like? Did you learn anything? What was good? What was, what could we improve on? Um, and I, we are getting a lot of positive feedback. Um, we're a new track event. So, so definitely there's areas that we can improve upon. And it seems like it's a learning curve. Seems like every track day we learn something else. Okay, we, we could have done this better. We could have done that better. Um, the first time we did really focused mentoring with the C group, somehow all the C group riders rode off with the first person they saw in a yellow vest. And so, <laughs> and so we just, we were trying to divide them up and it just went to heck in a handbasket pretty quickly. Uh, we got, we kind of got control of it later. Um, but, it, but I mean, little things, just little, little, uh, it's kind of like herding cats. It's a little bit better than herding cats. Um, but you kind of need to know where you're going before you can get there. So, so it's a learning process. Um, something I wanted to add before I forget, when you were asking me, how do we reach people? Um, it would be nice, possibly, um, possibly even doable, if um, motorcycle dealerships would promote the track day. Um, and if they're putting, because the last, this last person who I, who I made the Facebook post about was on a brand new motorcycle and they were not a terribly experienced rider and they had all of, all of that, um, youthful energy behind them. And people who are selling motorcycles know that they are, or they should be savvy enough to understand when they're putting an inexperienced rider on a leader bike. And I think they need to take some responsibility that it, it's, you can't, you can't just go, yes, I sold him that motorcycle, but you know what? I, I wasn't riding with him. I didn't lead him into the corner. It's not my fault. It's not your fault, but did you do anything to prepare that rider for, for the motorcycle you just sold him? 
I couldn't sleep at night if I had that job and something happened and, and I knew for a fact that I was more interested in selling the motorcycle than the eventual probable outcome. So it would be nice if local dealerships, dealerships who know that these people are going to get on the crest or any other California road, um, if they would encourage them or maybe even pay for a track day or two, some kind of training. I think that would be excellent. And I think it would be good, really good PR. I, I agree. I think you're right. It'd be <clears throat> that would be really good if we could uh, could persuade some of the local dealers to at least take that on board. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, maybe the hopefully the message will spread a little bit. Um, I'm very glad that you you talk about the total control instructors. Lee Parks is a friend of mine, and uh, he what he does is great. I mean, they really have improved the safety in terms of people for people taking their test and you know and their new rider course and that kind of stuff. So Lee really knows what he's doing. Total control is a tried and tested thing. So yes, yes. If you've got total control instructors there, I think. I think you've got really credentialed guys that that's that's the real deal I, I would say and they seem to like the track day and they will come um they will come and they'll pay for it and then they'll work it i keep trying to explain to them that if you're working it i'm not i, you, I don't need your money if you're going to work it but they want to support they're great they want to support us um so they'll pay and then they'll end up dealing with you know being a like how hard is it to be a control writer right, right. uh but but they also get out there with the C group cuz they love what they're doing that's why they're instructors so and then at the end of the day I'm like you worked all day do you want your money back and they'll go no see you next time yeah um so yeah I've had a really wonderful experience both with Lee and with all the people that I've met through him good that's terrific yeah, well, that's great. So I guess um, it remains to be how, mu how much is at one of your track days and how do we get hold of you? They're $150. Uh, the easiest way to sign up is to go to our website, which is uh, uh, we're here's the funny thing. We're a Native American and environmental nonprofit group, um, but we are in the environment of the Angeles Crest Highway. And so in my mind, human beings are not somehow separate from that environment. So um, the draft day was born as one of our projects. Uh, our website is redbirdsvisions.org. And uh, the second page is our motorcycle track day page and you can sign up there. It's $150. We rot the tracks hot from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. We don't break for lunch. We uh, end a little earlier than other track days, but what we've noticed is by the end of the day, people are tired and start making mistakes. Um, and so a good way for us to avoid that is to not just not do that last round, skip lunch, ride through the day there's always food, there's always drinks. Um, Willow Springs Cafe is open. You can leave at any time and go uh, get yourself something to eat if you want, or if you just need a break. Um, but we don't, um, you're not paying us for an hour of downtime for lunch. So we just ride through. Um, and uh, it's fun. I, I think I don't emphasize that enough. That track is fun. And I, if you could look inside everybody's helmets, they're smiling. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, do you have any sort of machinery requirements? I mean, is there any kind of bike that's too entry level or too slow? I mean, if somebody's like, well, I've only got a, you know, a Suzuki 200 or, or you know, I don't know, an entry, a really entry level bike. Oh, I can't take that on the track. It'll, it'll be a terrible time. If it can make it up an 11% grade, you'll be fine. Okay. The really, really tiny displacement motorcycles um, are, are not, they, has, they struggle with the grade. They're a lot of fun through the turns, 
But um, as you know, horse beef, it really does emulate at canyon conditions. So it's got inclines and declines. Pretty hilly, yeah. Uh, as as well as all your as well as all your turns. I think it's 11 turns or 13 if you use the chicane. Um, so if your bike is really small and, and underpowered, you're going to struggle with that 11% grade. If you've got a super bike, you are never going to get it out of second gear no. um, just because the track is so tight. So really anything in between uh, is, is perfectly adequate and accepted. Um, we have, uh, it's one of my favorite things to see because when I got back into motorcycles, when I moved back up on the, on the crest is the BMW GS, uh, motorcycles. They're just, sure. if you know how to ride one, they're amazing machines. Yeah. Um, and, and I, I do like the KTMs also, right. a lot of my friends with KTMs, I have to throw that in there. Right. Uh, but I love seeing those big bikes out there and, and really just flowing through the turns beautifully. So you don't have to be on a sport bike. Um, the supermotos are incredibly popular for that track. Sure. Um, you don't need to have slicks. Uh, and the single most popular bike we're noticing lately is the KTM 390. People are just out there tearing it up and having a blast on those bikes. Yeah. They've got enough power, but they're small and you can flick them around. Yeah. Yeah. That'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So, so your actual motorcycle requirements are not so small that it can't make up an 11% grade. And for your sake, not ours not so big and powerful that you're not going to have fun. Um, they need to be in good mechanical order. They need to not leak anything. Um, your tires need to have, um, they don't need to be brand new, but they need to have very good tread, um, no older than four years old. Uh, as, as we all know, the rubber uh, in a tire starts to get hard. You lose your traction. They're just not as reliable. Um, and the gear requirements, I always get asked this, especially in summer, do we have to have motorcycle gear? Yes, you do, from your head to your toe. Uh, it does not need to be a one-piece leather racing suit. It can be leather or a textile, one or two pieces. You need boots, you need gloves, you need a helmet that's not more than five years old. Um, Motocross-style helmet is fine. Uh, the modular kind of helmets, we don't have a problem with those. It does need to be full-faced. We don't do labinis. No. Okay, well, that sounds extremely sensible and actually pretty standard sort of across the board. Yes, yeah. So that's that's awesome. Okay, how often do you do these track days? We're doing them four times a year and we have another one coming up in November. And I should know the date off the top of my head, but I don't. Um, so we're trying to do them four times a year. Um, we're, again, we're just starting out doing this and, and uh, we're trying to figure out what all the different things are. Terrific. You know, what, what works, how often, how many, how much. It's a learning curve. Sure, sure. Well, I applaud you for what you're doing. I think if you can save one person, then then I think it, it, it's been worth it. Yes. And, and not just necessarily one person from dying. I mean, just you can save somebody from injuring or just smashing up their, their pride and joy. And yes. there's nothing worse than standing there and you're unhurt, but you're looking at this crumpled motorcycle <laughs> and thinking, oh, you know, there's five thousand dollars worth of plastic I've just totaled, or 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 a whole lot more, or a whole lot more. I mean, it's just yeah. So, so if you're just helping keep people keep the rubber side down, I think I applaud you for it. So thank uh, you so much. So thank you very much. Thanks for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. You're quite welcome. That was a pleasure. All right. Okay. Bye bye.